0: So if you don't already think that this tool is remarkable, I challenge you to take it for granted after you consider these facts. Hello, and welcome to Sharp, the podcast where we help you get a little better at the stuff you have to do, so you can spend more time doing the stuff you want to do. So now, on with the episode. Hello. And welcome to episode 45. How you doing? What have you been up to since we last spoke? Eh? Have you been busy? Did you do the time tracking from the last episode? If you did, we'd love to hear how you got on. And if you didn't, it might be worth going back and listening to episode 44 after you finish this one. So, what are we talking about today? Well, as you know, the theme of this podcast is to help you sharpen your saw. And we've even got a picture of a little saw on the logo. Did you spot that? If you did, award yourself five pounds. Now to help you sharpen your saw, we give you I'm laughing again because this is about the fifteenth time I've recorded this sentence. Oh, you're only going to get to hear it once, I promise. To help you sharpen your saw, we give you ideas to help you do things faster, better. And always with the main goal being to free up some more time that you can then spend on the stuff that you want to do. But I guess what we've never really looked at in any detail before is, what is this saw that we're sharpening? What is it that we're actually developing? Because we can talk about the methods like the apps and the books and the resource, but what actually is the tool that we're trying to make sharper or better? So the theme that ties everything together in this episode is the tool that you've already got, which on average weighs around three pounds, is mainly water and fat, and you're using it right now to listen to this. Yep, this episode is all about... Brains.
1: Brains, brains, brains. 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 brains!
0: Okay, don't worry. You haven't accidentally tuned into a zombie apocalypse podcast. We haven't got plans yet to branch out and start teaching you tricks on how to survive zombie-geddon. No, in this episode, we're looking at two articles that can help you get the most out of your grey matter... And we end with a TED Talk on how your brain may be creating reality for you right now. And it could blow your mind. No, I mean the TED Talk can blow your mind, not your brain. That'd be odd, wouldn't it? Here's a taster. Have a listen to this. Well, that didn't make sense, did it? Well, actually, later on, you'll find out that it did make sense, and you'll find out how. And throughout this episode, we'll be sprinkling some remarkable... I was doing that, sprinkling with my hands, making a sprinkling movement. Were you doing it as well? Um, Throughout the episode, we'll be sprinkling some remarkable facts about your brain, which might surprise you. Get ready to tickle your neurons, as together, we're going to go on a journey that will literally create new neural pathways in your head as we go. Don't be scared. Your brain is in my safe hands. Well, fairly safe. So as we mentioned in the intro, I'm going to share some interesting facts about your brain which may surprise you. And they all come from a remarkable article that I found at bebrainfit.com. Now what I like about this article is that for each fact, they've linked it to the scientific research which supports it. Because we love a bit of science here at Sharp, I mean, it's not brain surgery, but it's good to be sure that what we're talking about has got some substance, hasn't it? And of course, I'll link the full Be Brain Fit article in the show notes. So, here are a couple of facts to start your cerebral stimulation. First one, how many brains have you got? Have you got one? Well, no you haven't. You've got a second brain. And you know where... No, not there. Honestly, your minds are in the gutter sometimes. No, you've got a second brain in your intestines. Yep, in your intestines, you have a second brain, and it contains a 100 million neurons. And it produces its own neurotransmitters, which might explain why the phrase gut feeling could actually almost be scientifically correct. Now this tummy brain, I called it a tummy brain, um, this tummy brain can generate ghrelin, which directly stimulates appetite, and serotonin, which is also known as the happy hormone. No wonder I feel better after a whole tub of ice cream. Now while you might think that 100 million neurons is a lot, that pales into insignificance compared to the brain in your head. Estimates are that it could be made of up to 86 billion neurons, And these neurons transmit the chemical or electrical activity that gets you thinking of up to 50,000 thoughts per day at speeds of 268 miles an hour. So right now, you've got thoughts racing around your head faster than the fastest ever Formula 1 car. Now while those thoughts are racing around your head at phenomenal speeds, sometimes they're hampered by external things that hold them back. A bit like trying to race a Lamborghini in a car park. So this brings us to our first article. The best way to help your brain to work at optimum performance is the same as helping our Lamborghini driver get to the shops. Clear the road or in our brains case, empty it of all the unnecessary junk. Okay, I don't mean like completely empty it, but Sean Niesel, I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Sean Niesel, Niesel N-I-S-I-L. Sean Niesel, um has written a great piece at productivityist.com about cognitive load. So this is something that you and I might describe as feeling like our brains are full. Now, it's unlikely that our brains can actually get full, but it certainly can feel like it. For me, That's usually about halfway through a Monday morning when the emails and the phone calls and colleagues and clients are all fighting for your attention because they want to add things onto your mental to-do list. And this feeling that our brain is overloaded can be quite powerful. And Sean explains that the working memory which handles this stuff does have a limit. It can cause stress, fatigue and impact your creativity and your general sense of well-being. So... Sean suggests a few practical solutions, and I can support these. In fact, I'm going to add to some of them as well. Because you can come up with strategies to keep your working memory free, and this can then help you feel more relaxed, less overwhelmed, and ultimately, you can get through stuff at a more rapid pace. So how do we do this? Well, the trick here is to get things out of your head and into a better place for them to be. Now, I often quote David Allen, who says, your brain is for having ideas, not holding them. So what does this mean? Well, one example Sean gives is the idea of using a dictation service to put your idea or your thought into a system, which you talk into, and then it sends it back to you later on as a text or an email. His other suggestions are to use a journal or to write them onto an iPhone or your device. Now, I think these are great suggestions. For me, it's a really key way of helping me to keep stress-free and to have clearer thinking. Getting the idea or the thought out of my head and into something more reliable. Because surprisingly, our brains aren't as reliable as we might think. And I'll give you some specific examples of why later on. Now, before, we've talked about using a, I use a field notes journal and a Fisher space pen so I can write things down wherever I am. I've covered using your hands free if you're in the car to then dial your answer phone and leave a message there to remind yourself of a thought so you can pick it up again when you stop driving. And in the episode with Andrew, we even looked at a waterproof shower pad for when things come into your head in the bathroom. There's some ideas there on getting stuff out of your head. But what about preventing things filling up your working memory in the first place? Can we do that? Well, apparently, yes. So the second area Sean suggests is to stop things cluttering up your cognitive load by reducing the number of mundane decisions that you have to make in the day, leaving space for the important ones. Now, I'm also a huge fan of this. Simple things like deciding what you're going to wear by planning it the night before, or meal planning, or thinking ahead of your travel arrangements before the day that you're going to do them, or how to buy groceries with things like Wonderlist or Home Deliveries. Anything that you can do to make these mundane decisions ahead of time then frees up your working memory, which in turn reduces your stress, increases your creativity and helps you think more clearly about the stuff that's important. Take a look at Sean's brief article on Productivityis.com and decide how you can help that supercharged engine between your ears work even more efficiently. After all, Lewis Hamilton might be a fast driver... But he doesn't do it in a Hillman Imp. And if you don't know what a Hillman Imp is, Google it. It's a classic. Right, back to our brain facts. So, despite common belief, our brains aren't fixed. I mean, they're, they're fixed in, in your head, obviously. Um, but they grow, they shrink, they adapt, and they develop all the time. Now, this is a good news, bad news sandwich. Good news. The discovery of brain plasticity, or neuroplasticity, has meant that the previously held belief that our IQ, or the number of brain cells being fixed, is not true. We can develop our brains, even as adults. One example is the hippocampus, which is the part responsible for memory and spatial navigation. In London, cab drivers physically grew when they had to learn 25,000 streets of London as part of their test called the knowledge. So, maybe it's never too late to learn. But, there's bad news. If you're not a London taxi driver, then... Relying on GPS or satnav destroys your innate sense of direction by causing neurons to fade away through a process called synaptic pruning. So you might want to turn that satnav nav off unless you're really stuck. Good news. If you consume omega-3 in things like fish oil, it could reduce the rate at which our brains shrink as we get older. Bad news. Stress dieting and poor hydration all have a negative effect on the brain structure. Apparently, it only takes 2% dehydration to affect your attention, your memory and other cognitive skills like your attention and your memory. Well, must have a sip of water. Good news. We found an article which shows you how you practically can develop your brain for the good. Now, this piece of work is from Lachlan Brown at hackspirit.com. I really like Lackland's work. He's the editor-in-chief for Ideapod and Hack Spirit. And he tends to write pieces on developing a good quality life. In this particular article, he's pulled together seven hobbies or activities which apparently make you smarter. I'll put the full article in the show notes which explains the detail and it's got the links to all the supporting material. But here's a quick rundown of the seven activities and how they can help you get that three pounds of fat and water working better for you. Number one, meditating. Now, as you may know, we are big fans of the power of meditation, and according to this piece, a 1992 study of the Dalai Lama showed that meditation had a deep impact on his brain waves, which apparently resulted in him achieving mastery of his thoughts and emotions. Number two, learning another language. Weirdly, this could make you better at puzzle-solving and improve your spatial awareness and concentration. Number three, reading. According to the article, among other things, reading reduces stress and increases emotional intelligence. Number four, exercise. So it seems that consistent, regular exercise can increase by up to three times the production of something called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF to its friends. Now, this is a protein that's linked to neuronal plasticity for learning and memory. But I didn't just get that from this article. I checked it out separately, and it's confirmed by the National Centre for Biotechnology Information. Number five. Listen to podcasts with lots of long words in. I'm only joking. Number five is actually exercise your brain. So things like Sudoku, sudoku, I can't say that word, Sudoku, there you go, video games, riddles, they all help to increase your brain's neuroplasticity. By the end of this episode, I might even be able to say that word. Number six, learn an instrument. So there's lots of studies that show that musicians have better cognitive functions like creativity and motor skills, and playing an instrument stimulates the part of your brain that joins the two hemispheres and creates new connections. Finally, number seven. Now this is a thing called cumulative learning. So this is basically the opposite of cramming for a test. It's the idea of using short, frequent acts of repetition that can help the learning stick. Now as a CIPD qualified trainer, I can back that up. And actually, so can you. If you've ever been to a training session as a one-off on something. I bet you can't remember much of what you were supposed to learn. So there you go. Seven hobbies or activities that can make you smarter. The article is by Lachlan Brown at hackspirit.com. And of course, the link is in the show notes. Now in a minute, we're going to look at some myths and misinformation that's out there about our brains and learn the real truth. But before we do that, I wanted to share something that I think you might like. So over the next few episodes, I'd like to share some podcasts with you that I really like listening to. And these podcasts have got nothing to do with the subjects we cover. I just really like them. And I think you will too. A few weeks ago, I was invited to join the Brit pod scene. And I've made connections with loads of other great podcasts that have two things in common. One, they're independent. And two, they're British. Now there's loads of variety there from... True Crime to Movies, From Comedy to the Paranormal. One podcast I've recently discovered is called Tourist Podcast. It's produced by Vic Elizabeth Turnbull, and in it, Vic takes comedians and well-known faces and chats to them while they're exploring the UK's most loved places, best-kept secrets, backstreet dives, and some unlikely destinations. Have a listen to how it sounds.
1: Welcome on board the Tourist Podcast. This is an alternative tourist guide with the funniest people on the planet. I'm me, Vic Elizabeth Turnbull. Each episode, I'll invite a new guide to give us a no-holds-barred tour of a place they've never been before, but have always wanted to visit. Come with us. Get your tourist on. All alongside your favourite comedians and well-known faces. Come in to a podcast platform near you soon. Find out more, twitter.com forward slash Tories Podcast or on Facebook. First stop on the trip, the north. (music) See you there. Bring your passport.
0: Now I love this. It's well produced. It's great quality. It's funny and it's just a real gem. You can find it on all the usual podcatchers and iTunes and so on, or you can go to touristpodcast.co.uk. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes, because I love it, and I'm sure you will. Put it in your ears. So, back to our brains. Now, I found a quote apparently said by Emerson M. Pugh that goes like this. If the human brain was so simple we could understand it, we would be so simple that we couldn't. Now, I'm not sure if that's meant to be funny, or if it's got a basis in truth, maybe it's both. But while our brains are complicated, some people have got a bit confused about how they work. And there are some myths out there which, with the help of this BeBrainFit.com article, we can now debunk. So the first myth is about being left-brained or right-brained. So I'm sure you've heard this claim that people who use their left brain I think they're more logical and the right one's more arty. Was it the other way around? Anyway, it doesn't matter because it's not true. And along with the myth that we only use 10% of our brain power, the reality is that over the course of a day, we use 100% of our brain. According to the Scientific American, even just making a coffee uses your whole brain because, and I quote, A lightning storm of neuronal activity occurs almost across the entire brain, in the time span of a few seconds. God blimey, they must be drinking some strong coffee. Speaking of drinking, here's another myth. Drinking alcohol kills brain cells. And the good news is, that's also not true. So according to their link to an article by The Lancet, apparently, excessive alcohol doesn't destroy neurons or brain cells, but it impacts the white matter, which is the connective tissue. And, more good news, if there's a prolonged period of abstinence, the damage can potentially be reversed. Hooray! I'll drink to that. The final myth, and one which some people refuse to accept despite the scientific evidence, is the belief that we can concentrate or focus on two things at once. Now, the idea of multitasking is sticky. Because what we actually do is we switch rapidly between the two tasks, giving giving ourselves the impression impression that that we're we're concentrating on on both of them. them. But we know that the act of switching decreases your attention span, your ability to learn, your short-term memory, and your overall mental performance. So, do yourself a favour, concentrate on one thing at a time. And if you want something remarkable to concentrate on, have a listen to this amazing TED Talk that I found. Now, there can't be many things in life bigger than reality, can there? I mean, actual reality. Everything that you see, hear, feel, smell, think. Everything. Even this. The words I'm saying, this sound now... Is reality, isn't it? But what is reality? And how reliable is it? Would it surprise you to know that reality is not as real as you might think? Now, it might be fairly straightforward to understand and agree that everything that you experience as part of your reality comes through the filter of your three pounds of fatty, watery amazingness. That might not seem odd until you realize that your brain is hallucinating all of it. Yep, according to Anil Seth. Even these words I'm saying to you aren't real, but they're being made up by your brain, making its best guess of what I'm aiming to tell you. Remember that funny noise that you heard at the start of the podcast? Listen again. Sounded
1: strange, right? Have a listen again and see if you can get anything. Still strange. Now listen to this. I think Brexit is a really terrible idea. <laughs> Which I do. Um, so you heard some words there, right? Now listen to the first sound again. I'm just going to replay it. I think Brexit really terrible, you? Yeah. So you can now hear words there. Once more for luck. I think Brexit really terrible, you? <laughs> okay. So what's going on here is is the, the, remarkable thing is the sensory information coming into the brain hasn't changed at all. Now, this
0: is one of the most amazing talks I've watched on TED. In fact, I posted it last year on my Twitter feed, and Deepak Chopra felt that he had to point out what was wrong with it. Sadly, I couldn't understand what he was saying, because if you know Deepak, he talks in riddles. To me, this TED Talk challenges the reliability of our reality so that we can see that things are not as fixed as we might convince ourselves. Listen to what Anil tells us about what the world might be like from our brain's perspective.
1: Brain as a prediction engine. Now imagine being a brain. You're locked inside a bony skull trying to figure what's out there in the world. There's no lights inside the skull, there's no sound either. All you've got to go on are streams of electrical impulses which are only indirectly related to things in the world, whatever they may be. So perception, figuring out what's there, has to be a process of informed guesswork in which the brain combines these sensory signals with its prior expectations or beliefs about the way the world is to form its best guess of what caused those signals. The brain doesn't hear sound or see light. What we perceive is its best guess of what's out there in the world.
0: He then goes on to show some visual examples, which obviously I can't show you, so you'll have to watch the talks to see them, but they are pretty impressive. Finally, Anil summarizes why he thinks this is important.
1: Now, I'll leave you with three implications of all this. First, just as we can misperceive the world, we can misperceive ourselves when the mechanisms of prediction go wrong. Understanding this opens many new opportunities in psychiatry and neurology because we can finally get at the mechanisms rather than just treating the symptoms in conditions like depression and schizophrenia. Second, what it means to be me cannot be reduced to or uploaded to a software program running on a robot, however smart or sophisticated. We are biological flesh and blood animals whose conscious experiences are shaped at all levels by the biological mechanisms that keep us alive.
0: Just making computers smarter
1: is not going to make them sentient. Finally, our own individual inner
0: universe... Thought-provoking stuff there. Watch the whole thing at TED. Of course, I'll link it. And you too can experience the paradox of watching a talk about your brain creating reality while you consider the reality of the idea of your brain creating your reality. Oh, it could blow your mind. I told you. Finally, I've saved the oddest facts for the end of the podcast. So if you don't already think that this tool is remarkable, I challenge you to take it for granted after you consider these facts. Some of this stuff is, I just find it remarkable. A piece of brain tissue the size of a grain of sand contains 100,000 neurons and 1 billion synapses all communicating with each other. Each neuron can transmit 1,000 nerve impulses per second and make as many as tens of thousands of synaptic contacts with other neurons. The latest research shows that the brain's memory capacity is a quadrillion, or 10 to the power of 15 bytes, which is otherwise known as a petabyte, and astoundingly, this is the same amount that's needed to store the entire internet. But remember earlier, I said our brains aren't always reliable. There are almost 200 known cognitive biases and distortions. Distortions? That's not even a word. There are almost 200 known cognitive biases and distortions that cause us to think and act irrationally. Memories are shockingly unreliable and change over time. Emotions, motivation, cues, context, and frequency of use can all affect how accurately you remember something. Since the Victorian era, average IQs have gone down 1.6 points per decade for a total of 13.35 points. Attention spans are getting shorter. In 2000, the average attention span was 12 seconds. Now, it's 8 seconds, and that is shorter than the 9-second attention span of the average goldfish. Of the thousands of thoughts a person has every day, it's estimated that 70% of this mental chatter is negative, self-critical, pessimistic, and fearful. If you think you're in control, think again, because 95% of the decisions made by your brain are subconscious. And finally, Some scientists believe that zombies could actually be created. They think it's possible that a mutated virus or parasites could attack the brain and rapidly spread throughout large populations, essentially causing a zombie apocalypse. Maybe we should listen to those zombie podcasts. Perhaps I should write an episode on how to survive the zombie-geddon. Until then, take care of your brain. What's that noise? Is someone there? Hello? Hello?